Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast. The more is the critically acclaimed comics from James Roberts, more than meets the eye. And the less than meets the eye is what we will be talking about today, the Michael Bay live action movies. Today is episode nine. It is The Last Night, a movie that I told Ben is the worst thing we've ever reviewed for this podcast. And I am forcing him to take a stance in defence of a movie he has still only given one star, but that's where we are. Ben, how do you feel about your mission today? One and a half stars. One and a half. Okay. No, it's really on now. <laughs> that extra half it's, star it's is a, offensive it's a, to me. It's a three out of ten movie compared to... No. I mean, my, my hard, ten hard scale one. is... My 10 scale is kind of fucked up because I keep my one for, like, the so bad it's actually kind of a masterpiece rating so like my two is like my like bottom of the barrel but like my one out of ten is like at the moment i've only got two on that box it's cats and it's the room <laughs> yeah i feel that, like it's kind of... allowed to be just actually bad and you're allowed to enjoy it without having to adjust the score to say that it's separate from other bad things <laughs> this is just how the scores just kind of like ended up they're the only two right. things i've given half a star to but they're also my only two likes or letterbox so they've introduced a system where like you can get movies recommended to you that are like your your liked movies but right. because the only two movies i've got liked are cats and what so room. that so that people that care too much about their scoring can be like well i like this so i would like to see more things like it but i'm obviously only going to give it a three out of five like yes exactly but i like it like oh, cowards if you like it give it a four or five right so michael bay wanted to stop after three movies. Then he wanted to stop after four movies. The problem is, these fucking things kept making one billion dollars in an era where that wasn't super, super common. Um, 2014 is about where it is, but yeah, like in 2014, you think about Marvel puts out Guardians and Captain America Winter Soldier, two of the biggest, buzziest movies of that year, and neither of them do a billion dollars. Nope. And I would say that the 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 cultural tale on mm. both of those is certainly longer than Age of Extinction. Yeah. Like I'm looking at the top ten worldwide movies, and this is the only tw- uh, billion dollar grosser from from 2014. I feel like 2015 is when you kind of like it okay. it just goes insane. Yeah. Because like 2015 is Star Wars 7, Jurassic World, Furious 7, Age of Ultron, and Minions all doing a billion dollars. Sure. But you're, you know, you're, you're paramount. You know, you're looking at what do we have that could make a billion dollars. Like, you know, you're Hasbro. You're thinking, wow, movies <clears throat> based on, like, predominantly things aimed at children, let's be honest, are making a billion dollars. Let's push these Transformers to the goddamn moon. Like we're not at a point yet where the where Tom Cruise is a brand that can probably get you a billion dollars. Like yeah. we're looking at a summer where like the new Mission Impossible might be a billion dollar grocer. And in 2014, they were they had only just stopped thinking about like, do we want to transition Tom Cruise out of this franchise? <laughs> uh, which is like crazy yeah. to think about. They're quietly bubbling away, and everyone, you know, every. <laughs> someone you know is going, no, the the new Mission Impossible movies are actually good. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And then it turns out they are, in fact, pretty good. Go listen to Secret Agent Man on Enter the Real World. Uh, right, so The Last Night. Yeah, our fifth time at bat for Michael Bay. 
he clearly only takes it one because they're begging him because billion dollars two because he spent four to five years trying to make a king arthur movie and then saw an opportunity to just make it in the first sort of half hour of this movie instead they make this vaunted writer's room then as as the hollywood expert and historian why don't you run us through this this fabled writer's room for transformers yeah so basically everyone is looking at marvel Mm -hmm. at this point because the mcu is a success they might not be hitting a billion dollars every single year but when you've got avengers and iron man 3 and well i actually guess like they form this in the same year that age of ultron comes out so everyone's like okay the mcu is like really really a success they consistently have this like really high bar at the box office so we need to start hearing cinematic universe left right and center and we all want to die yeah, this is where the Dark Universe comes in. This is when, like, Fox start making the, the X-Men into, like, a, a cinematic universe. And Sony have obviously been trying for, for forever using Spider-Man characters and everything's getting spin-offs and prequels and all these other different things that none of them succeed in the same way. I mean, what, we're, we are also now at a point where, like, the DCEU is about to become an actual continuity of, like, multiple movies that they're going to rush yeah. uh like the same point in time when this writer's room is announced but yeah so kiva goldman is the is the head of the writer's room who is probably best known for kind of like he's he's been around for a while uh he wrote batman forever and batman and robin he's like he also wrote beautiful mind he worked with roberto orsi and alex kurtzman to create fringe so he's called in to kind of be the head of this guy and you'll see that a lot where they'll get like TV guys who've got a bit of genre pedigree called in to kind of like head up these think tanks. And then the people they get is actually kind of impressive. Quite a few of them are like actually interesting names. So you got Stephen DeKnight, who has just finished working on Daredevil, I believe, at this point, or like Daredevil season one is imminent mm-hmm. in 2015. Uh, Robert Kirkman is now heading up his own Transformers yeah. universe in the comic books. <laughs> uh, Walking Dead Man. Probably yes. his more his bigger claim to fame there, but no, absolutely. I, mean, I feel like Robert Kirkman is a brand upon himself, and I don't need to list Walking Dead, Invincible, and all these other different things yeah. as projects. He's just a huge name at this point, who is also now writing Transformers in in some fashion. And I guess like um, like overtly trying to pivot into movies and TV shows, like <laughs> strictly a comic guy for a long time, and now his big comic is like the biggest show on earth well it wasn't ever really but you know seems to be the biggest show on earth and he's like actively dipping his toe into participating in adaptations of his stuff yeah, yeah exactly i mean he wrote renfield this year so he's, he's got his fingers in in lots of different pies art magnum and uh, matt holloway who were the original screenwriters on iron man but obviously mm-hmm. that script got thrown up and was basically just ad-libbed by john favreau and rob down jr on set uh, oh. Christina Hodson, Lindsay Beer, Zach Penn, Jeff Pinkner, Andrew Baru, and Gabriel Ferrari, who are the actual credited screenwriters on Transformers 1, which mm-hmm. was also thrown out as a concept that came from this room. Uh, Ken Nolan, Geneva Robertson Dwarrett, and then I believe as well, people who just threw out ideas in the room, maybe not actually involved in writing anything, were Spielberg, Michael Bay, and Lorenzo Di Bonaventura. Didn't um, Zach Penn write a version of The Avengers? 
Yes, he's he is the original like he did X two Incredible Hulk and Avengers. Yeah. He's one of those guys who Hollywood like he can hit a deadline, so let's bring him in <laughs> to write a script, and then when we actually get a director, they can use as much or as little of this script as they want. But like a lot of his credits are like story or uncredited or yeah, like at some point he his script gets thrown out and rewritten. But yeah, he's he's a big hollywood guy that people come to for these ideas because he's a huge nerd and again presumably can hit headlines so this room is assembled and they make some big fucking claims that whip the fandom up into a frenzy um they they invoke names like beast wars and a bumblebee solo movie and just all kinds of stuff and and and... 10 years worth of movies which i mean at the rate that they're going at the moment that's only about three movies so (laughs) i mean if you you take it as they release one of these every two to three years then you're only going to get like three to four of these in a 10 year window bumblebee and rise of the beasts have come out like in theory they're sort of doing what they said (laughs) it's just not quite as people envisioned it i don't think well, that's the thing is they they announced that they've got Transformers Five will be coming out in 2017, which it does. Transformers yeah. Six, which will be Bumblebee, will come out in 2018, which it does. Mm-hmm. But about six months later than originally planned, because I don't know whether we'll discuss it end of this week or beginning of next week, but or not next week, but like when we discuss Bumblebee. But they obviously throw out a lot of stuff that would have tied Bumblebee to last night yeah. in post production. And then Transformers 7, which we now know as Rise of the Beast, was originally scheduled for summer of 2019. Presumably, they delayed that because of the reception to last night, and then Wait, COVID so they, Sorry, and... sorry. They planned to release Transformers 6 and 7 one year apart? Yes. Whoa. So do you reckon they were an explicit part one, part two type deal? Or? No, no, no. It was, it was Bumblebee and then a Transformers 7. They did, they oh, hadn't, right. I assume it was the Rise of the Beast type deal. Like they yeah. were already shooting Bumblebee when when last night comes out. So they're yeah, kind yeah. of like locked I, into, they're locked into that one, but they delay it six months to retool some of the stuff. And right. then presumably they put a halt to Transformers 7 so they can figure out what the universe is going to be because right. like in this time goldsman is also enlisted by hasbro to write a gi joe micronauts universe because <laughs> we're not quite there yet in the comics but hasbro is about to get like really really into an aligned continuity between <laughs> a lot of their their products and hey uh, that has also seemingly come to pass so maybe this yeah. room isn't the failure that many people including me have made fun of it for being for quite a while now but they have now met they, like there are three of the movies that have come from this room have happened uh-huh. and if you include the fact that there was covid and presumably a lot yeah. of stuff got delayed like a lot of the ideas that were percolating have definitely happened is it a failure in terms of execution maybe we'll we'll discuss I just, that i in think it's just episodes. I think it's just because of the way it was actually, like, they gave interviews about this thing, and, like, it was literally, Goldsman was, like, saying, oh, yeah, and then we've got, like, a, we've got this over here if someone wants, like, I think he was pitching it as if it was a physical building that all of these, like, whole 20 writers were all in every day, and, like, right, on this wall, we've got everything you need to know about Beast Wars, so you, there, go write a Beast Wars movie, and, like, you, go do this, and, like, I don't think it was ever actually that, but... As I said, like, this movie is an end product of Michael Bay dipping in and snatching up two separate concepts, as well as what was... You know, you can clearly see the DNA of a direct sequel to Age of Extinction here, but then there's also this awkward King Arthur-esque story, 
and smidges of, hey, what if the Transformers are around during World War II? And he's like, I like both of these ideas. They're both going in my movie along with the direct sequel. <laughs> it's like the it's the Kim Peel sketch where like they're asking to pitch ideas for Gremlins 2. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, just like, I, I don't just like it, I love it. It's in the movie. Exactly, yeah. And like... They clearly want these things. Like, I don't think any of these are inherently bad ideas. The execution is lacking, and I think trying to smash multiple things together is 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 the problem. And like, you know, we've talked about how a while on the surface it's like, oh god, do we want to talk about Transformers on a podcast for multiple weeks? But like, something you and I have always taken an interest in is like, you know, film as time capsule, as like capturing the moment, and how the Transformers series, against all odds, is kind of a great window into where cinema was at the time each one has come out. Like, we've had the rise of 3D and IMAX and, like, the importance of the international box office and stuff, and we have now hit the era where every goddamn movie, it feels like, and mainstream mass appeal blockbuster stuff, stuff that is driven, mostly franchise stuff, um, that is that seems to be made in boardrooms and in post-production, every fucking one of them, feels like it's two to three things pushed together and they just needed to pick a lane and go with it and boy howdy is that the case here <laughs> yeah it's it's two to three things smushed together but also only half a movie because they want to leave stuff on the table to pick up at a later point yeah um, they, they cut like... one hour of footage from this movie and it shows because <laughs> there's stuff that just dangles there's stuff where there's just a giant leap in logic there is stuff where it's like, right, off you fuck to the other movie now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny because yeah. like, when, when we started discussing Transformers, I was like, it's funny that the first movie doesn't have more impact on cinema. Mm. And instead what's happened is is this movie has kind of absorbed every single bad, good, neutral thing that's happening in cinema at the same time. So, like, yeah. it just escapes the, the, the change, sea change of cinema that is the kind of 1, 2, 3, 2007 punch of... or 2007, 2008 punch of Born Ultimatum, Iron Man, and, and Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And then it's just completely swept away by, like, well, IMAX and 3D are here because of Avatar, and China's, like, super, super important to, like, how we develop these movies, and mm -hmm. now the, the cinematic universe has fully taken hold as the buzzword in yeah. cinema, and this now needs to be... I mean, they still talk about not even calling it Transformers 7 or whatever, because obviously Bumblebee and Last Night are, like, Transformers 6 and 7 for all, all intents and purposes, but they call it The Last Night 2, as in a sequel to the continuity that <laughs> Michael Bay has set up. So if Michael Bay ever wanted to come back he could do a movie in in this universe essentially Ugh, yeah i all this makes me feel unwell hearing it and like you know we 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 have our podcast on the MCU Ben and Matt's marvelous journey which is also available everywhere we've talked about how like you can really feel the impact of how they are not getting in any directors with any clout really um, these things are made by committee, they are made like Kevin Feige's essentially directing most of them. <laughs> you know, you can make that argument for too many cooks, not enough focus, but like Michael Bay is our presence, but then it's like is he an invested one who actually gives a shit, who actually like <sighs> has any creative interest in these, or does he just want to like shoot his dumb picture and like you can worry about the dialogue and the story and stuff. <laughs> yeah, the issue that Michael Bay has run into at this point is 
he's getting to make movies on the sides now that I yeah. think are a little bit more interesting to him. Between Dark of the Moon and Age of Extinction, he does Pain and Gain. Between Age of Extinction and this movie, he does 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Um, <laughs> obviously, he goes on to do Six Underground and Ambulance after this, and they feel like... I mean, I've not seen Six Underground, but I've seen Ambulance, and... Did he do it, Six Underground? Yes, he did. Oh, Jesus, okay. <laughs> wow. The vaunted Ryan Reynolds Netflix movie. Yes. Right. Okay. I'm One sure. I'm sure 900 billion trillion people have seen it according to Netflix. But oh, I think it's still in their top 10 most watched movies of, of all time. Whatever. Although they've changed that metric now, so I don't even know what what right. that even looks like. But Ambulance does feel like a filmmaker reinvigorated. I mean, he he and... openly said he wanted to do Pain and Gain before he did another Transformers, and then like he promised to do Transformers: uh, Dark of the Moon. If they would then basically pay for pain and gain, and they were like, "Yes," like he he's clearly been trying to escape and being dragged back in, so it's not surprising to learn that, like you know, maybe he's not all that interested in this by comparison to the stuff he's making on the side. But it, you know, it as I said in this era where like you know films start to be made by committee, by producers, by like you know, numbers and metrics and algorithms and like, right, we need to insert cameo here and big name actor there and name drop a thing here and leave this dangling thread and do a post credit scene, you know, all that. It, it has made it rotten and he isn't really all that interested in, in like changing any of that. And yeah, it's a rough no, one. I think it kind, of, it kind of works for him because it's like, yeah. oh, you want to do like these four ideas? Can I do these four ideas? Yeah. Even if it ends up like, Chidi's chili from the good place where it's just like a mess of ingredients all mushed together like there is like there's some meat here there's some candy here there's some like like there's a lot of weird stuff in this movie that really doesn't go together but for whatever reason I come away from this movie going boy there's some weird stuff in here I kind of appreciate how gonzo it is because it doesn't feel as insipid or boring as the stuff that they're doing in 2 and 4. And... Yeah, Revenge of the Fallen, a terrible movie. Age of Extinction, a powerfully dull movie. I would watch both of those back-to-back -back before I watch this again. I, this was To me, this is an assault on the senses in a way that those two are. Those two are bad and boring in a coherent way. This is like being slapped... This is like a torture session. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm strapped to a chair and a person with ADHD while doing mountains of cocaine, is just telling me the plot out loud and continually losing their thread. And I just, I, I don't know what the information is. I want to give it to them so that this will stop. But two and a half hours must be sat through, as this one two and a half hours, it felt like. And, and, now, yeah. you, and now you have to summarise it for an audience yeah. of the next... Okay, it fucking sucks. There you go, I did it. Can we go home now? No. I think, yeah, for me, that is the part where I found it... I've, I had, like, a visceral reaction to this. That I had to keep stopping it to be like, okay, whereas I could let those other two just kind of wash over me. And this seemed to, like, really baffle you while I was giving you my live reaction to it. Um, where to it you, this has like clearly a... got more going on than 2 and 4, so clearly it's like a, it's still bad, but it's a smidge better, right? And I'm like, no, no, so much worse. This is hurting me, Ben. <laughs> I mean, I, when I was watching it, I was like reacting to things that I knew you wouldn't like. <laughs> like um, what? Which what made... do you know about me, Ben? 
No, it was just there were, there were just things in this movie that very obviously I knew you'd react more viscerally to than I did. But I was still sat there going like, yeah, there's just there's a little bit of something here. Like there's a it's just the right level of weird and just the right level of like we they, don't give a fuck. They got me for a second at a couple of points. I'm like, all right, and then. <laughs> something else kicks the door and is like, no, you're wrong. This is what this movie is now. And I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. I hate it still. Right. It's very funny that the lasting legacy of this movie is... I hate him. Um, <laughs> no, the lasting legacy of this movie is probably it being a bomb. Yes, um, yes. Um, I talked about how all these make a billion. This is the biggest money loser in the franchise so bumblebee will gross less but this cost up to 260 million dollars to make and bumblebee did not make that it did not take that much to make so bumblebee more profitable this the biggest bomb in the franchise to date 600 million uh is the return on the 260 plus marketing plus whatever is rise the beast not more now oh sorry i don't know i mean yeah, two hundred million to three eight to three eight seven. So is that like, is that um, like actually finished its theatrical run for realsies though? Or I mean, I would hope so, considering it came out. I mean, I guess it's only really been out for a month, but like, there like might I be could a go see that more, right now if I wanted to. There I might think. be a little more blood in that stone, but like, I don't think they're. All right, get well, up okay, <laughs> up to the release. Price of the Beast, the biggest money loser. Sorry, clarifications. The the biggest money loser of of Michael Bay's for sure. And yeah, after their run of, of a billion, two in a row. Yeah, this one makes only 600 million. This is also, we should say, like, I, I guess we haven't really acknowledged this. A lot of people really fucking love these movies that we've been shitting on for, like, <laughs> weeks now. They fucking love the designs. They think Optimus rules. They're like, yeah, Ghost Star Scream, jump from jet to jet in a scene that Matt completely forgot despite watching like four weeks ago and they think they rule and they think this is real transformers and if you want g1 or anything else you're a nerd most of them hate this movie yes (laughs) like you get people who hand wave to they're like hey there's clearly good stuff in here just the writer's strike happened what were they gonna do and they're like ah you know four it's not amazing but like they were making that movie for china don't worry about it the source is still there you saw what he did with one and three and then this comes out, and they're like, oh, never mind, the king is dead. <laughs> like, I think I've seen a couple of defenders out there, but generally speaking, uh, <laughs> this is the most lockstep they are about one being bad. Yes, like, yeah. the, someone literally tweeted the other day I saw, because I get a lot of this stuff, because we're talking about Transformers a lot at the moment mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter, and it was literally like, say one nice thing about the last night, and it was like, <laughs> oh, you guys do not like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it's that very, like, sarcastic kind of, like, they'll they'll throw out, like, um, I like some of the shots of them transforming and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, God. <laughs> Which is funny, because a lot of them don't transform. Um, yes. Oh. <laughs> the other lasting legacy for this one is, obviously, they put Nazi flags at Winston Churchill's house. Um, yeah, but, like, didn't, like, Churchill's great-grandson or grandson or something like that be like, hey, shut up. Like... <laughs> This is all getting know, but like, like... <laughs> the, the British press are going to jump on anything oh, that the allows sun. them to talk that's, about Churchill that... and Nazis. Yeah, that's, that's just fucking porn to the sun. Like, yes, let us whip up some controversy. Right, uh, we must talk about it, unfortunately. So, I said how <laughs> Michael Pay really wanted to make a King <laughs> Arthur movie. We begin in, as they put it, the Dark Ages, 484 AD. Yes, King Arthur and his knights are getting their asses whipped by the Saxons, and their only hope is Stanley Tucci <laughs> as a drunken Drunk Merlin, Tucci. a drunken Merlin whose first line of dialogue is, 
oh my god, I'm sozzled. Pretty much a perfect impression, I think. He rides up to a little cave, kinda, and out steps a big giant transformer. A, a, you know, ostensible Knight of Cybertron. Not the Knights of Cybertron we're talking about in the other book. The Knights of Cybertron we talked about in Age of Extinction, of which Optimus is ostensibly somehow one of them, but not. And Lockdown captured them all. But maybe he didn't. Who knows who's in this movie? Don't worry about it. But this is the Dark Ages, and one of them reluctantly gives Merlin a staff that, like, empowers the knights, lets him control or summon or just, like, hype up a dragon... A three-headed Ghidorah dragon that does nothing and will fuck off for the rest of the movie. And any explanation of what the dragon means is on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah, the dra- I, I had to go to the wiki to figure out that the dragon is actually... A, the dragon is named Dragonstorm. Mm-hmm. And is actually a... Well, they call it a gestalt being of the legendary 12 Guardian Knights. Um, I'm just going to call it a combiner because sure. that's really what it is. Like, sure. Not in any functional way that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. They never made a combiner toy that is the 12 Cybertronian Knights becoming a dragon. That would have been cool. <laughs> so they made a Cogman that is a headmaster, but they didn't bother making 12 robots that turn into a three-headed dragon. Yes. Cool. Uh, I mean, have you seen the dragon? The dragon has like no parts of it that look like another. But it looks like the Knights of Cybertron become like nanobots, and then like because like sure. they jump off the top of the ship at the end of the movie and become the dragon. And I was like, wait, when the fuck did the dragon get here? Right. Like, at no point has anyone said that like getting Merlin staff will get them a dragon, but they have a fucking dragon now. And they also don't make it clear if having that staff allows him to like command the dragon, or the dragon is like a separate. Like, here's the staff. It will make. Because King Arthur and his knights, their armor gets a bit shinier when he does a drive-by with the staff. And I don't know. I don't know. They don't tell you. They sure do film a lot of horses and, like, flying... There's so many horses. And, like, you know, when you look at, like, oh, why did this movie cost so much? Like, oh, the money is on the screen. Um, that's normally what we say. Like, oh, where is all this money? It's definitely not on the screen. Opposite here, I can see the money. <laughs> but, like, Why? Who allowed this? Yeah, but yeah, Michael Bay gets to do what he wants. He gets to do a giant field in England, like, on the location they use for fucking Gladiator and all that in Surrey, I think. And he gets to direct people on horseback, like, with lances and swords and, you know, flinging flaming catapult things at each other. And yeah, he gets to make his movie. It isn't interesting or engaging in any way, but it's there. You know, and I think it is interesting just for how random it is that this movie <laughs> opens with a King Arthur and Merlin founding sure. of the Round Table, sure. which is made up of like a lot of the knights that you know about from Arthurian legend. <laughs> no, go on, name then... them all. Name them all. Name them all like they did. You want me to name the ones oh, they God. say? Yeah. What are the ones they say? I mean, Lancelot, I can go through like the whole Tristan, Gawain, Percival, Percival. All of them. That's literally what they say. It's like, come on! <laughs> the names are available. I mean, Galahad. Yes. Cardock, Bors. Yes. No, I just Agrabane, mean, like, if Aldemol, you... Al- I just mean, if you know you can't name all 12, why would you start a list and there's get... There's more than 12, though. That's the thing, is, like, there's no sure. definitive story. But, like, I would... 
if I were this movie, I would go like, right, if we're doing fucking lore, we're going to make a definitive, like, 12 knights, and each yep. of those knights got a knight of Cybertron yep. as their, like, protector or something. Exactly that. And, and you do a you do it like Final Fantasy 16, where you have a human at the front, and then you have a Transformer standing behind them, and you do 12 character posters, and everyone's like, what are you doing, Michael Bay? But at least I'm having more fun. Yeah, and uh, also yeah, they, like, they got Stanley Tucci to come back and play a completely different character. Apparently he just enjoys hanging out with Transformers. Good for him, you know? He's vibing. He is. I mean, it's fun. And then the movie makes the decision to <laughs> smash cut to Optimus, who is now frozen in space. Yes. His plan, which was a twofold plan, one of which was to get rid of the seed that uh, would turn everything on Earth into metal, and two, to find out who the founder of Cybertron is or the creator of the Transformers is. To my um, creators. He yes. says it really funny. Um, we we don't know what happened to the seed. Um, we don't know no. why he's frozen. Uh, just because, you know, I guess he like jump-jetted as far as he could, pointed himself in the right direction, and then just floated through space the rest of the way, which is a reliable form of transport. <laughs> very and it gets them um, out of that that loophole where we were like, "What do you mean they can just fly back to Cybertron?" They said they were stranded. It's like, well, technically he can't fly. He floated most of it. <laughs> that wouldn't take millions of years. <laughs> don't worry um, about it. He makes it back to Cybertron and meets Quintessa, who yes. is uh, a riff on the Quintessons. Go um, ahead from. Quintessons, who debut in the Transformers movie, who are an alien race who lived on Cybertron long, long before the the Cybertronians, and basically they had five heads, and that's about all I know about them. Like they show, they, like, they're this because they're this law in the movie, they get yeah. thrown around a lot, but because they're so nondescript, everyone likes to change what they what they do and what they yeah. are. In the comics we're reading, Megatron gets landed on the Junkticon planet and like takes the spark from inside a Quintesson and puts that inside Trypticon. That sure. was just nonsense for about 20 people, which I appreciate at this point. I, just, yeah, I find it really planet. funny that like Transformers the movie is like, it's not really that good. And I mean, for some people it's like, oh yeah, this is, this rules. But like, realistically you have fun for about 20 minutes and then you're bored for quite a while and then maybe you have some fun at the end but like every single thing introduced in the movie is like golden like it, like we must keep bringing all of this stuff back this is the stuff that must always be brought up like we must tease galvatron we must tease unicron ultra magnus is a thing Hot Rod becoming Rodimus is a thing. The Quintessons are a thing. The Junkion planet is a th like all this stuff is like tier one law like uh, it's just funny to me because it's not actually all that good as a movie <laughs> but like it had such an impact on the franchise i assume it's because like most people i feel like most people don't even remember the show in the same way like maybe not it, if you as a like a 10 year old in the late 90s or early 2000s are going to watch any piece of transformers media you're not going to turn on three seasons of the tv show you're going to watch whatever mm. cartoon is on right now and then maybe you're going to watch the transformers the movie i guess it, i and... guess it's that like the cartoon is just spinning along doing story of the week episodes like forever and ever and then the movie is allowed to actually inject large amounts of plot and new characters and changes the status quo like the the cartoon continues out of the back of the movie and optimus is dead and ultra magnus like rodimus prime is their leader and then the quintessons become like kind of the villains of the show and then they will be every now and then someone will bring the quintessons back and they they yeah. created the transformers allegedly 
and now we're in this movie where Quintessa is named Quintessa for the Quintessons. Doesn't look like a Quintesson because she doesn't have the five faces. Um, She's got like, does she have tentacly bits? They have tentacles. Yeah, uh, she is, however, and I I really (laughs) feel we need to spend some time with this, voiced by Gemma Chan, who... Voiced and played. Come on. Voiced and played. She will at some point get to to play it in a live-action sense. Gemma Chan, possibly the most cursed franchise, like... (laughs) lead of all time yeah um i'm just gonna run you through kind of like her big movies that could potentially get sequels um so a couple years before this she does jack ryan shatter recruit mm-hmm. everyone's favorite jack ryan version yep she then plays a character in fantastic beast and where to find them a well-known not cursed at all franchise mm-hmm. she is set up as potentially the big bad of the entire transformers universe in the last night yeah Crazy Rich Asians, a movie which should have had a sequel by this point, but absolutely mm-hmm. has not, because everyone else in that cast has seemingly walked away from that movie. <laughs> she then plays uh, Minerva in Captain Marvel. Hell yeah. And then... A role so impactful Cersei. that they brought her back for a different Marvel role. <laughs> yes, in Eternals, a movie which some people still insist will get a sequel. And then, then last year she's in Don't Worry Darling. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ, what an awful, terrible career that you've had, Gemma Chan, and I genuinely feel sorry for you. And she has a big franchise, Humans. She's in... Oh my God, she did three seasons of Hotel Transylvania, the series. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I think what it is is she is fucking beautiful and really well-spoken, and that allows her to play in many lanes. Like, it's not a coincidence she keeps playing sort of semi-robotic people because it's like she's almost too perfect looking that she's artificial and then she's got this very well-spoken kind of... She she can play a robot is, is what I'm getting at here. Um, like, she's good in humans, like, as the... The... I only watched the first episode of Humans, okay. and then I kind of like bounced off it. Yeah, like, it's it's it not it's not a great show, but like he she's she's good in it, and like I think she's good in most. of I mean, I haven't seen all those fucking things you've said, but she's generally good. I mean, I I'm listing them because it's just her history in franchises more than yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. she's she's got small roles in stuff like Jack Ryan and Fantastic Beasts, yeah. but like. It's just to say that, like, the, the franchises that she's chosen at that point, obviously, like, 2014, she doesn't have the sway to do this stuff. But obviously, over the last 10 years, she has evolved into being, we think we can pin a movie on Gemma Chan, and <laughs> it's kind of questionable. I mean, like, she's she, she's done, like, she did all the British stuff that you have to do to do this stuff. Like, she does <laughs> Doctor Who, and she does Sherlock. Fresh Meat, uh, she was on. Fresh Meat, she was on Secret Diary of a Cool Girl. Like she's she's done a lot of like the British TV yeah. that kind of like gets the eyes of UK casting agents who are looking to cast movies that are filming in the UK. I guess is the yeah, yeah. is the way to say. And, it. and, and I, also she, yeah. she worked with Richard Alwadi, who hasn't directed anything since the Double, but she got to be in both Submarine and the Double. So like yeah. at least she's 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 obviously like friendly with the UK film and TV sure. community. Sure, but here she is. As a, I mean, I've seen her referred to as not actually a real Cybertronian, and like she's actually faking it, and she's just like an alien witch, and it's like, well, is she though, or is she just, I don't know? But she's on Cybertron. She's got flunkies. Don't worry about them. She immediately captures Optimus, brainwashes him. We'll cut back and forth to him like every, what, like twenty, thirty minutes. We're just gonna wrap it all up here, mostly. But like over the course of all these scenes, she's like, "Oh yeah, I made you all," and like, Earth is Unicron. Whoa, whoa. Um, and the staff will let me 
drain Unicron and restore Cybertron, because Cybertron's all fucked up. And you may have been thinking, as an eagle-eyed viewer, that, hey, isn't Cybertron all fucked up after the events of the previous movie? And you're right, it is all fucked up. But she's living on it. Where was she before? No one knows. Who could care? Uh, Did she arrive after the events of Dark of the Moon in a movie in which Sentinel Prime tries to suck Cybertron through a portal? I do find it very funny. They've twice now done a thing where Cybertron's coming to Earth. <laughs> except except this movie ends with Cybertron still ostensibly in Earth's Earth orbit. orbit. Yeah, in pieces. Like, yeah. like, But they previously say... Like... Obviously, Cybertron is a long, long way away. Uh-huh. They used a space bridge to try and bring it to Earth in the she third movie. She just flies movie. it. She just flies it. <laughs> she just flies it like a ship. Yeah. Optimus did it. I mean, surely the planet can gather more momentum than he can. So I don't think anything. Cle- I don't think anything clearly says that they had no fucking idea how to wrap up the plot point before. Like, and I think that is the big weakness of this movie. Is I mean, it's kind of a weakness and a strength because it's like, yeah, fuck continuity, do whatever you want. But this movie is so brazen in it just ignoring anything <laughs> set up in prior movies whatsoever. Whereas yeah. like there is stuff from four that they're just like yeah i know we spoke a lot about the knights of cybertron in the last movie optimus doesn't remember he's a knight of cybertron but also he's not one of the knights in this movie even though we call it the last night and there are 13 fucking knights in this movie and, and like presumably... it's really unclear if who they call the guardian knights near the end are supposed to be the knights who we were told lockdown had captured or if they're a separate group of knights, I believe the red one that Merlin talks to at the beginning, who is a knight of Cybertron, is one of the people they hang out with at the end. So uh, Storm Rain is the name. Sorry, so sorry. Storm Rain. So sorry. I do think it's funny that like there was more coherent continuity before they wanted to build an interconnected universe. <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as they start trying to do that it all fucking falls apart and you'll have two movies come out that like directly contradict what they've established in all of the previous ones but I think that was a choice to yeah. cut like I think they were going to have like Bumblebee as explicitly this is to tie into what Bumblebee was doing on Earth for years because I don't think they ever said that Bumblebee had only just recently landed on Earth in 07 Transformers sure like it's, it is just something that has now become canonical because of Bumblebee, but I think they were getting away with the fact that like, well, Bumblebee's never spoken about his backstory <laughs> in World War Two as a as a Nazi murderer. Well, the other thing that I just want to bring up now because I can't be fucked to bring it up later is so <laughs> that's the energy paint, I love for a podcast. <laughs> they paint Optimus's face a little bit red, yes, which is supposed to imply, I presume, that he has been brainwashed by. Quintessa. This is obviously something that they they did a lot in the posters. Like the first poster of Optimus's face has the red mark on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really, really pick up a fact that Optimus and Bumblebee are going to fight later on in this movie. Yes, all uh, of the promo was Optimus versus Bumblebee. People were genuinely excited for this stuff. Uh, his eyes also changed color, uh, not to Decepticon Red, I don't believe, but to like some sort of purple. Like purple. Yeah. 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 Um, Megatron has now decided to rename himself from Galvatron. Oh um, God. I, oh. I, God, I forgot what's after. Okay, yep. I do like the Megatron design. Yep, I do. I do like it. Like, it's probably the best Megatron design that they've had in the entire franchise. It is. I hate Spiky Megatron. Yeah, but the thing is, (laughs) he was Spiky and a plane 
Then he was basically still spiky and various trucks. Then he was Galvatron, who looked completely different. And but then now he looked like Optimus. Yeah. And now he looks like this, which is a good design. However, between him walking off as Galvatron at the end of 4, and when we meet him here, hiding out from the government, he looks completely different. He calls yep. himself Megatron. He's a yep. plane again. Yep. And he has apparently gone to Cybertron, fallen... Why would he go? Don't know. Fallen under Quintessa's brainwashing, returned to Earth, I think the writers were like, oh yeah, Quintessa gave him his, his body and, and, and all of that upgrades again. Uh, and he has returned back to Earth in the time it took Optimus to go to Cybertron and then come back. So Megatron has a faster way of getting there. <laughs> Received his upgrades and his brainwashing. Made it back to Earth long enough to have like embedded lore about what he's been up to in the time it took Optimus to get there. Yes, I just want to read out how the, the TF wiki kind of defines this. Yes, go ahead. At some point after the Battle of Hong Kong, under undivulged circumstances, Galvatron fell under the sway of the alien sorceress and supposed Cybertronian goddess, in quotation marks, Quintessa, took on a new jet alternate mode and returned to Earth using his true name. At some point, <laughs> under, and under- undisclosed. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you want. And I believe people have asked the writers, and they're like, oh yeah, Quintessa did it. And I'm like... You were just doing that Simpsons sketch. Whenever you don't know, a wizard did it. Yeah, because Megatron, it's never said out loud, but Megatron has the same red line down his fucking face and is acting slightly differently and sort of seemingly against his own desires and will just kind of work for Quintessa at the end of the movie. And then, like, is never really broken out of it. Is just beaten, and we don't really see what happens to him, I don't think. Uh, yeah, we're now at a point where you just can't kill Megatron in these movies. Like, we've nah. already done Megatron dying a couple of times in this franchise, and now it's just like, yeah, no, he's just going to be around. Like, we're going to act... Secondary like villain in every single one of But them. yeah, he's going to be a Saturday morning cartoon villain where, like, he'll end up like Jesse and James from Pokemon. Like, they'll <laughs> kick him out of the side of a plane, and he'll fall down, and he'll I mean, be with evil scheme. To be fair, like, while... He is, in most future things, written to be the premier badass. Like, questions about whether Optimus could even actually take him one-on-one. Like, no one else could. In G1, they do just lose constantly. Like, that is literally a Saturday morning cartoon. He does just constantly lose and get embarrassed by, like, everyone going and keeps promising to come back. (laughs) So I guess it's not that far off. But it doesn't feel great that this has been his role in all of these movies where he is the actual main villain of one of them and it's the one where he shows up half an hour before the end (laughs) and in every other one he's working for someone else who sucks Um. it is funny though because it's like that is the eternal problem that all of these franchises that are based on media ostensibly for children are kind Mm. of riffing on and why we get so frustrated when like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies kill off Willem Dafoe and mm. Alfred Molina. And it's like, well, how do you make a yeah. a good villain, make them threatening enough and then have them do like have them do evil things where the only recourse at the end is either they have to spend the rest of their lives rotting in prison, in which case they'll get broken out, presumably in the next movie, or yeah. they just have to die. And even when a franchise does something like Heath Ledger's Joker, where they're like, Batman doesn't kill, so therefore Joker's not going to die, mm-hmm. they're immediately like kind of on the back foot because of real life tragedies that happened yeah. like but they wrote it, they it, wrote what his role was going to be and it wasn't going to be huge so like i don't know i i 
I think all of those deaths were handled well because they got to do good things in their movies, whereas like Megatron has never been a thing in these fucking things. Oh no, but then I guess if if the people who are coming to this are presumably like they're writing this in 2007, those guys are coming from a world where their entire if they have Transformers knowledge or anything like that, they're coming from a point of view where it is just the the TV show. Yeah. And they're coming yeah. at like, well, Megatron's kind of your comedy ineffectual villain. And yeah. it's all the work that other people have been doing in the comics and the cartoons afterwards and yeah. all the rest of it that has given Megatron some sense of menace. Yeah. So if you are younger than 30 and not working as a writer <laughs> in Hollywood, you're coming to this in 2007 with like, well, Megatron's like a fucking badass. And they're just like, eh, is he? Yeah. I'm also not sure that evidence is on the screen in these movies, if that's what you're basing it on. But he I, is I, yet I, again I, hiding out under i think he may even have like a little tattered robe again like he did before i can't really remember now but i hate (laughs) how often this franchise falls back into and this is a totality thing because this is fucking happening in the comics that i'm reading at the exact same time as this Mm. is decepticons do some heinous fucking bullshit kill millions and millions of fucking people on planet earth Uh um are definitively the villains of like anything that tragically went on on earth and the books go like right but the real distrust is for the autobots yes like yes. like the humans will work with the decepticons to take down the autobots because the autobots are the real villains here and it's like again again the comics at the same time are like literally doing it like uh-huh. the earth defense force is is being tricked into thinking that megatron's become an autobot well so he has become all... an autobot well no he has become an autobot but like they're tricked by that image into thinking that megatron was is now making the autobots bad I guess is yeah, and they they sound wave is like oh we were just following Megatron we're we're we don't want to kill you it's like you literally did kill them you all took great delight in doing so Astro Train was just fucking going from train station to a train station murdering people <laughs> yes it yeah sucks. and then in this movie like they literally have a prisoner exchange with Megatron yes they play Suicide Squad for a second yes our new status quo I say new. I feel like it's been the status quo in at least one of these movies before. Transformers are illegal on Earth, and now we have the TRF, Transformers Earth. Reaction Force, or the, or the TERFs, yes. Are they the same as Cemetery Wind? Are they more government official than them? Who could say? But they basically roll around trying to get rid of all the Decepticons, all of the Transformers, except in Cuba, where Castro is like, hey, come hang and Simmons, who will not be, he will not share a frame <laughs> with anyone else in the movie, is exclusively on the phone in Cuba, uh, is playing like beach volleyball with Transformers and stuff, apparently. Who cares? Yeah, who could care? Tr- he, he's basically like, he's got some information and wants to become a member of the secret society. Uh, we don't need to bring up Simmons again in this movie. It's John Tatura got a hang up, hang out presumably in Cuba, maybe? I don't <laughs> yeah. know if he even shot in Cuba or if he's just on a soundstage or whatever. But it's just Miami. He, he does <laughs> fucking nothing this entire movie. No. Um, he gets inducted and, into the secret society. You'd think that Anthony Hopkins would be more interested in like keeping that secret society going on a bit longer. Instead, he's like, I'm the last one, bitches. <laughs> uh, when I die, it all dies with me. Yes. Well, he does seem quite mad. <laughs> yeah, does. so so I there like yeah. This movie. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um that is a thing. Um Megatron is is hiding out. They're doing heavy amounts of like bugging people to listen to them and track them and stuff. 
Barricade, who definitely died before at least once, is back with a new design with a knuckle duster that says Punish because fuck everyone watching these things. He meets with Megatron and they're like, I know that voice. I hear it in my nightmares. Thanks, Josh Dumel. You suck at acting. Um, <laughs> and they're like, right, we know Megatron's out there. And then much later in the movie, they will literally do a prisoner exchange with Megatron where he's like, right, I've captured some of your people. You can have them back if you release my my shopping list of Decepticons. All the big names you've heard before and seen and seen them on all their antics. No, just five they made up for this movie with literal like on-screen graphics like Suicide Squad. Okay, then. They survive less than three minutes. <laughs> of screen time and are just murdered one at a time by the Autobots never to be seen again but he definitely wants them and it's like this one robbed a bank this one's talking shit about a guy's wife this one's like Hannibal freaking Lecter man right kids? no fuck off uh, it's, it is truly bizarre because like you, so you have the, the status quo is that Transformers are illegal and th- this task force is up to kill them all and obviously they don't want to make a deal with Megatron but they will deal with Megatron if they have to and they, they like say like you can't have who is it is it Onslaught they won't let him have or is it Dread, Dread uh, it's they Berserker won't they won't let him have so he gets oh, okay. Onslaught instead who Drift just cuts his head off yeah Berserker's yeah. the one that is strapped to a Hannibal Lecter thing and is just snarling and spitting and is fucking feral and like no you can't have Berserker he also um, wants uh, Mohawk, who I yes. don't understand why anyone would want Mohawk, because it's just another one of Michael Bay's favourite comedy bots. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dreadbot, who they're like, no, he killed nine people, you can't have him. And he's like, but I want him. And they're like, okay, you can have him. It, and the, and then the thing is, we're skipping ahead now, but like when yeah, they yeah. go to track down Cade, they're on the same side? Like, they're using the Decepticons to like lead their strike force? Yes. Yeah, but sure, they don't. Sure they they don't have the muscle to take on Cade's band of of Autobots, so they need some some big fucking Cybertronians to soften them up. Even though they all just get fucking wasted, and it seems like they're actually all right at taking down Transformers. <laughs> but never yep. mind. Uh, he's got um, Nitro Zeus. Sure, yep. looks like a mini Shockwave kind of design wise. <laughs> and then Onslaught instead of Berserker. Um, yeah, his team suck. <laughs> They all die almost immediately. He's decent in this movie. Um, Frank Welker gets to retain the role from Hugo Weaving. Basically uses the exact same Megatron voice he'd been using more recently. Not his classic Megatron voice, um, which is a lot more screechy, but the one he's been using in like Transformers Prime and various video games and stuff. Uh, and it's a good voice. And Megatron is decent in this movie, and I wish he could just be the fucking villain. Don't know why he is also a sword guy now, but hey, sword He's a knight. Cool. I guess I guess Quintessa gave um, him a sword but, fetish along with everything else. Yeah. Do what we must do in this franchise, which is discuss Chicago. Yes, we keep going back to Chicago. Chicago's still on fire. Chicago is still a wreckage. Kids are exploring, they're stumbling onto stuff. Big government who use fucking Metal Gear Rex to hunt Transformers are like threatening... Who are still coming to Earth. Like This movie makes it explicit that like the message that Artemis sent about like Transformers coming to Earth is just attracting more and more Transformers, that which is how this movie is able to has, get more cast. That bitch has given that message at the end of at least three of these movies. Hey, Autobots, come home. Like, what? Who are you still talking to? Like, and what do you mean? <laughs> like, you already told them to do it. Like, 
no but this time definitely we cybertron is is never going to be viable again please come home it's like well where are also, they surely also surely all of them are like wait but how many people have died on this planet because it sure seems that like this is actually more of a subtronian graveyard at this point like yeah. are any of your friends who first came to earth with you optimus still alive and it's like mm. uh, well ratchet's dead Ironhide's dead. Jazz got ripped apart in about five minutes after mm-hmm. he landed. Mm-hmm. Um, Optimus we died. Don't know what ha- <laughs> Optimus died. We don't know what happened to Alita One or or RC or any of those guys. Yeah, never to um, be seen again until ten years before then. Yeah, it's it's fucked up. Yeah, but they keep on coming. And they do. Bas- I mean, when I say that Chicago is still on fire, when they first cut to it, I genuinely thought that like, is there still a part of Chicago that is just <laughs> on fire constantly? I don't. Um, know, I don't know if that was supposed to be Soldier Field, like the the famous Chicago football stadium where the Bears play, etc. But they they sure do do a like look at this ruined football stadium moment. And I'll be honest with you, I was like, where is this supposed to be? I don't know if they outright said Chicago at any point. I mean I eventually got it, but like I'm just like, where is this? Like <laughs> just because they're so think, bad at geography in these things. And I think because I think it is the same like set a backlot that they filmed the opening scene of them arriving in Chicago in Dark of the Moon. Because yeah. it looks just like that like strip of street. Right, right, right. right. Um but what happens is these kids who are exploring, they find a newly crashed Cybertronian ship containing the Talisman Knight. Yeah. Now, one of the other characters will explicitly call this... I think I think it's um, Barricade calls it a knight. And I'm like, oh, like the Knights of Cybertron. <laughs> no, don't be stupid. <laughs> it's Guardian Knights, Knights of Cybertron, and the Talisman Knight. It's a taxonomy of knights. Yes. And we've also got our... Not at all rote, not at all fucking boring scene where big military are like, these things are going to kill the kids. We should kill the kids, <laughs> basically. They kill little Isabella's shelter best friend, Canopy, the Transformer with like rubble on his back. We're, um, we're back in the world of Michael Bay giving too many characters to one character. So like, you've got <laughs> Isabella, who is living in the ruins of Chicago yes. with her two best robot buds, mm-hmm. Squeaks, and Canopy. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill off Canopy yep. and then have a, have, have a much better relationship with Squeaks the entire movie. Yep. There's going to be a secondary Bizarre. group of kids, one of who is like creepily in love with her. Um, and then and then big government and be like, wow, that Transformer's tra- clearly trying to kill all the kids. We'll kill that Transformer. <laughs> yeah, but then the movie tries to make it that like Canopy was like her best best friend. Right. And like she's like completely distraught by this. And it's like, we, we spent two minutes shit. with this. <laughs> we spent two minutes with this guy he's dead already and she's gonna spend the rest of the movie trying to fix up squeaks why have you given her two robots yes. like it, again it's obviously some a, a potent image that they really like is like you can do a lot with the et small child befriending robot hey and they'll get it right once next and they'll get it right once but yeah. like they've done it in transformers one and now they've done it again in this movie except given absolutely nothing for Isabella Mona to do. What do you uh, mean? Isn't and... Isabella going to be basically the third lead and be all throughout the movie? For the first for the first movie in this movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> movie she... one of this movie. <laughs> movie one of this movie, which is set on a junk heap and is about Cade, Jake, Cade Yeager, like, finding out he, how to be a family man again. Boy. Like, which is... 
boy does he show up with longer hair and like a shotgun and he's just <laughs> all fucking action now i feel like they forget he's an inventor for a while and they're like oh shit yeah okay yeah let's have someone just dunk on him about being an inventor let's just let's just have laura haddock be the audience surrogate and be like what the fuck have you invented but yeah cade shows up he's he's defending the the robots that are landing on earth uh he's in the chicago Metropolis, metropolitan area, I guess. Yes. Um, I don't know about American geography, but like, I wouldn't say that his junkyard looks like somewhere near Chicago. Nope. That's why I'm like, <laughs> what is this Chicago? Because like, I know they briefly went there in Age of Extinction, but like, I he's from like Texas. I feel like yeah, they do say his ranch was on Texas, and like, yeah, that junkyard does look more, shall we say western or southern america he's apparently in south dakota according to tf wiki okay okay so that is actually relatively it's not a million miles from chicago yeah and i do not buy him and bumblebee as partners to be honest <laughs> they didn't really well, build and that's the thing is they they decided that the first movie would be about Cade and optimus but optimus fucks off at the end of the first movie so they're like well who's the other character we've got on hand yeah so now oh, they're best buds Yes. Uh, Cade does threaten to punch a child. Just, you know, great leading man, Mark Wahlberg here. He is given the talisman by the knight, and then Bumblebee just fucking dies. But no, he doesn't, because he can now glue himself back together in Iron Man 3. The whole, every bit of him can, like, find itself fashion. You know, not a bad gimmick to give a Transformer, a bit of a random one to give Bumblebee out of nowhere. <laughs> and they'll use yeah, it again he... at the end, but, like, yeah, a bit yeah. weird, but he it's, just it's rocks up for idea. his big hero moment, and they immediately just fucking blow him to pieces. And I was like, did they just fucking kill Bumblebee? It's a fun idea. I'm, I'm not opposed to this no, idea. No, no, but like, yeah. Josh Dumel shows up and is like... He's yet again mm-hmm. playing that, like, oh, the main government are anti-Transformer, but I'm like, oh, come on, guys, Transformers aren't that bad. And like, so he's not in TRF, I don't think. I think he's just like in the army. Because he like has this constant beef with uh, the actor is uh, Santiago, the actor is Santiago Cab- Cabrera, who Cabrera, is yeah. yeah, who was he was Isaac on Heroes, if you remember. Oh, that. <laughs> was he? Oh yeah, yeah. So he's just got constant beef with him that's never really resolved. Oh no, it is. He does. He does a little. Cade does a little speech, and they all rip off their patches. What a terrible fucking movie. Yes, basically, Cade and the Transformers outsmart the TRF. And they all drive off, but they manage to bug Bumblebee, which is what they'd also done to Barricade. And yeah, they end up... <laughs> so Cade goes back to his junkyard. We get a whole bunch of bullshit with the Dinobots. And how... The Dinobots have given birth to baby Dinobots. Don't, <sighs> don't ask. Yeah. He's telling Grimlock off for rampaging and eating a police car. And we're doing, like, Native American racism... Where he literally says the line, you really, what does he say? Really getting into that whole Indian thing, to which the Native American policeman doesn't really respond. But then when he says, oh, would you prefer I call you chief? He says, well, from you, it sounds vaguely racist. And it's like, okay, sure, that that works. But you did just let him say that you're an Indian. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's good that this movie finds time for racism, you know, amongst many other things. 
we have. Yeah, this you know, junkyard so... is is the worst impulses of this franchise because yes. there's just so much random stuff that goes on. Hound um, is doing fart jokes with grenades. Like, oh, I've been holding that one in, and like he's just chucked a grenade that blows up in the background. Drift and... is going full into like Zen samurai mode by doing like, mm-hmm. and will be told, "I don't understand what comes out of your mouth," which can only be a comment on his accent. Um, I feel uh, Drod Kai Michael is here. Yes. Uh, he likes to have alien guns and is um, a, a, a paid employee. He doesn't really get much to do in this movie. No, Mark Wahlberg. Um, made, sorry, yes. Kade Yeager made up a job title for him and doesn't offer insurance. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Day Trader is voiced by Steve Buscemi. Shows up and tries Day to Trader sell him stuff that they looks want. so much like Hound, and and Steve Buscemi sounds vaguely like tom kenny's wheelie voice and because he looks like hound for a split second i was like did wheelie just turn into like a copy of hound and is and is like no this is day trader who's voiced by steve buscemi who has a beard exactly like hound and is just like i don't know he just sells shit and he comes to try and and hock them some stuff including a voice box for bumblebee which they do install but then because it's got a lady voice bumblebee rips it out Unclear how he later speaks. <laughs> yes, the, the, the movie did never get. I presume at some point he got another one. Um, I'm oh, we share... presume uh, at I'm some point share... un, in undisclosed manner. I'm going to share Matt the original concept art for Day Trader, which was based on Sibushemi's face. Oh, and I want to. Oh get no! His oh, I think I may point. have seen this at some point. And it's also made me. Re- oh <laughs> God! I wasn't ready. Oh no! Oh Jesus! Oh God! <laughs> It's bizarre how much Michael Bay obviously really likes the Coen Brothers movies because, like, mm. he's now because think of like who the people like John Turturro, Francis McDormand, um, John Malkovich, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi. Like, he he is really dipping into Steve Buscemi gets fucking nothing to do. Glad you got a paycheck for this. People talk more about Day Trader when he's not on screen than they do. Like, Day Trader will later show up with lockdown ship from the last movie as their like transport to get them across the pond he doesn't even show up to sell them the ship presumably at this point they cut a scene where he tries to give bumblebee another voice box or something but right who the fuck knows this has gotten really off the rails but that's because this fucking scene aged me yeah just a bunch of dumb shit happens at kane's junkyard a lot of shouting a lot of just random transformer chaos um, we establish that Cade's daughter is at college and he calls her and doesn't actually say anything because he's a fugitive. Is that her voice? I can't yes, actually find out did. whether or not... Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Nic- yeah Nicola Peltz has a bit... I missed it because they don't give her her full name. Yeah, you're looking for that Beckham. Isabella comes and is like, hey, why you don't talk to your daughter? Like, oh, what's going on? And uh, they, she's like his surrogate daughter. He yells at her. She yells at him. Blah, 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 blah. I don't entirely know why the government are so intent that Kade Yeager has top secret info. Like, do they think he knows where Optimus is and they think Optimus is the most dangerous one? It's so... Un- it's just like, I think they want to take down the Autobots because the Autobots are, like, only... Are they saying Decepticons are in it? Yeah, are they basically saying the Decepticons are fucking stupid and dumb and easy to take down? 
but Autobots are actually competent, so they, just, they need to work yeah, on taking them Yeah, whereas we know down. we know that like the combination of Bumblebee, Hound, Drift, Crosshairs, and the Dinobots is kind of yeah. actually enough to do some damage. Yeah, if they uh, wanted to. I don't know, man. It's interesting that like it does feel like obviously the first three movies have that little team that Optimus brings to Earth in the first movie that just gets whittled down movie by movie. Yeah. But like... Well, then they grow it this back movie up does... to four and then they all remain intact. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the thing. This is the first movie where, like, there is a core group of kind of, like, four to five Autobots who get to be a team. I mean, it's not good. They're, they're literally just about to fuck off from this movie for an hour. But there is a team of Autobots that, like, we are aware and know of and whatnot. Yeah, and... I guess they also are panicked into making this deal because the Earth begins to sprout big alien horns because it's Unicron, as as Quintessa told us. And, like, they had s- spotted Megatron at the site of each horn and Buster Bluth is going to tell NASA that you're, you're all going to die in three days. And they are like, oh, well, Megatron must know something about these horns. And I don't know if Megatron told them, oh, Cade knows about the horns. Or I, I genuinely do not know. And I watched this like two, a day ago. But yeah, they, 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 they go on the little raid of Cade's junkyard, they flush them out. There's bad car chasing and fighting and all of Megatron's crew are murdered, basically. Then the, the real star of the movie shows up. Cogman. <laughs> Cogman. Cogman arrives... Cogman's a butler. Cogman is Anthony Hopkins's Cybertronian headmaster butler. What's a headmaster? Don't worry. Don't worry. Not in the movie. They call him a headmaster, though. They do. They do. They say the word headmaster. What that, again, what it is, not going to bother with it. Jim Carter is from Downton Abbey. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. The writer of the movie. He's Mr. Carson. The lead credited. I don't, that means nothing to me. The lead credited writer on this movie jokingly said, we're going to get Cogman to be voiced by Jim Carter. Michael Bay got it done. It was a joke and he got it done. Um, yes, there is a Downton Abbey ass fucking robot butler called Cogman who works for Anthony Hopkins. We have flashed back and forth to Anthony Hopkins and to Laura Haddock. Uh, Laura Haddock. Yes. We Meredith, are, we're gonna go Meredith like Quill. Um, we'll go no, down in a minute. Don't, in a second, don't but yeah. say that name. She is Laura Haddock. She's Meredith Quill. Uh, Vivane Wembley. Yes, <sighs> we've 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 met them briefly, but we've this is already chaotic enough. So we'll just say Cogman comes and escorts Kate Yeager to a different fucking movie. We will not see basically anyone we've been talking about for about an hour because Even Mark Wahlberg though... is going to England. <laughs> Yes, even though the TRF now know definitively where the rest of these characters are, they're still going to continue to hang out there for yes. the rest of the fucking movie until they get summoned across the pond. Yeah, they straight um, up say your friends will be in danger while you're with them, but if you come, they will, they will follow because they're tracking Bumblebee and they want Cade. And as long as Bumblebee goes with Cade, because the fucking talisman has turned itself into like a armband. Like it changes, and he, ke- oh, yeah, he keeps trying to throw it away, and it the keeps. Talisman gave him a talisman that yes. will become Excalibur later on in the movie. <sighs> Spoilers. Um, yes, it it won't. He keeps trying to get rid of it, and it keeps like sticking to him and, and all that shit. So yes, Cogman escorts him to England, where Anthony Hopkins lives. Anthony Hopkins did the opening narration. He said magic is real, and it arrived on a <laughs> like an alien spaceship. Look, um, I'm gonna have a hot take right now. Okay. 
Anthony Hopkins' intro narration to this movie is the best opening narration any of these movies have had up to this point. That's really not a bar of any kind to try and clear, but fine. It's a bar. It is a bar that this movie clears. Yeah, is Anthony Hopkins basically comatose a better actor than Peter Cullen? Yes, I'm sorry, but he is. That doesn't mean it's good. (laughs) Two-time Academy Award winner Anthony Hopkins... Uh, who is famous for having written no acting required in his script for Thor because it required no acting. I really want to see what he wrote down on this script because I presume it is no acting required because he's he's just doing his own fucking thing for the entire movie and it's great. I was very briefly... Yeah, look, when he called that guy outside of Downing Street a dickhead and when when he's talking about his family tree and he says his great-great-great-great-aunt poisoned his great-great-great-great-uncle... She was a bitch. <laughs> she was quite mad. I was like, I might be Hopkins pill. <laughs> yeah, he's got... He's like demanding people get out of the submarine. Yes. Um, he, he's got an insane energy to him. He is playing Sir Edmund Burton, a knight of the fucking realm. <laughs> We've got more knights <laughs> in the fucking movie. <laughs> yes, he is... A historian, he has a castle, he is a, a, the li- latest in a long line of a secret society that have always worked with Transformers, dating back to the times of King Arthur. They fucking make a bunch of fucking oil paintings with, like, Optimus Prime marching with the redcoats to try and fucking ostensibly colonise Africa, probably. Um, and they have, like, Ironhide participating in some other historical battle, and they're just going for, like, oh, yeah, Shakespeare was friends with the Transformers, and, you know, Newton, everyone, oh, we're all just great pals of the Transformers. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie has, like, there's there's an image of, like, Megatron at the eruption of Krakatoa, <laughs> and all that, like, it's, it's utterly bizarre, like, some of the stuff that they do... Uh, with the oh, and here's, like, here's the watch that killed Hitler. <laughs> yep. Like, which he will what? then take. Which he will then take to threaten to kill the British sitting prime minister. <laughs> yes. Shot in actual Ten Downing Street, by the by. Um, what the fuck? Yes. <laughs> Shot in the actual offices somewhere in in Downing Street. Do you want to name some of the people who are like members of the Order of the Whitwickens? I said the ones I remember. <laughs> I mean, like, so Churchill, Darwin, yes. Einstein, Elizabeth I, Galileo, Stephen Hawking, uh, Edmund Hillary, Abraham Lincoln, Michelangelo, Mozart, Isaac Newton, Theodore Roosevelt, Shakespeare, as he said, Tesla, Harriet Tubman. Um... <laughs> That's the worst one! That's the worst one by far! Oh my god! Uh, and then obviously Archibald and Sam Witwicky. Is that because they realised, hang on, the strong implication here is that Transformers probably participated in the slave trade, so we better put Harriet Tubman in the society. I just like the idea that they like they take they make the the Underground Railroad explicit and what they were actually doing was loading slaves onto a transforming steam train. Yep. Probably Astro Train, except he's a Decepticon. <laughs> Fucking bonkers bullshit but you know they have said in the past in the previous movies like oh yeah the seekers were here there's a there's a there's a model t or whatever the fuck the henry ford car was that's a transformer blah 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 they've been here longer than you know so obviously simmons is is calling him all the time and they're sharing information but 
Why has he brought Cade Yeager here and also kidnapped Vivian Wembley? I hate how they write her so much. <laughs> Just... Poor Laura Haddock. Laura Haddock gets so much, like, awful stuff happening. Like, Meredith Quill herself. Yes, um, thank you. Gets, gets so much, like, she is ostensibly the second lead of the back half of this movie. She doesn't even get single card billing at the end of it. She gets, like, lumped in with two other actors I can't even remember the names of at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, truly bizarre to have someone who is really, like, actually the the second or third lead of this fucking movie get discredited so badly yeah. uh, in the credit block. I understand that, like, she really hasn't done an awful lot at this point. I think... The thing I remember the most, she's like the one of the one of the love interests in the in betweeners movie. Yep, yeah, apparently um, haven't seen it, but yeah, yeah. And then like she gets to be in Downton Abbey, a new era, but that's like five years after this. Like again, like just they went to England and picked someone who was on British TV. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I think she's in, the, in... the lead on Da Vinci's Demons, or like right. one of the leads on Da Vinci's Demons, right? So in, like, indie movies and, like, you know, stuff with, like, weedier folk in it, we have what we would call a manic pixie dream girl. Do we have a name for the equivalent in action movies where it's, like, she's a total babe, but she drinks beers and, like, you know, because, like, they're like, oh, look at her. She's, like, so sexy and she also plays polo and she's, like, a cool lecturer who swears and debunks Arthurian myths. I mean, my default (laughs) is to go to the, the gone girl cool girl right like monica that they use like like i'm, I'm one of the cool girls kind of thing right, and right, right, like, right. yeah so she is brought to the castle by come on you have to say his name the thing is it ain't right what they done to my boy <laughs> and she can dress it up however you want but it just simply ain't right what they done to my boy <laughs> hot rod played by omar Sy. he has a thick french accent and that's the whole joke and he hates having a French accent, but he can't get rid of it. It ain't right what they done to my boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm annoyed I've not seen Omar Sy do more stuff in his native language. I know. Because, Isn't he like, um, Lupin? No. He is Lupin. He is, oh, okay. he is Lupin in the Netflix show, which I've heard like really good things about yeah. in terms of... Because so I think the the international side of Netflix actually get a little bit more freedom and a little bit more ability to do some interesting stuff. Because obviously that's also where Squid Game... Squid Game? Squid, Squid Game came <laughs> Sorry. That's where Squid Game comes from because, like, it's more like the the acquire content made by French production companies and, and yeah, Korean yeah, production yeah, companies yeah. and stuff like that. But like, I've not seen The Untouchables, which is obviously like probably his defining role still to this point. And now this, where the joke is, um, he doesn't want to be French. Mm-hmm. What, what, how is it they say like like oh he's French because he likes the language and then immediately goes like I am not French. I do not like the accent. Yes, but I can't get rid of it. Yes, because because he, he is uh, Bumblebee's like partner in arms, unmentioned up to this point. Bumblebee has seemingly forgotten all about his like identical twin brother who has who fought Nazis with him. But apparently, they both have issues with their voices. Um, yeah. Again, the movie does nothing with this, and and when the emotional climax of the movie is Bumblebee gets his voice back, he has played no role in this whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, they have been scraping the barrel for Autobots throughout this series they finally get to Hot Rod who is like, was quite a popular Transformer, like not just me being like, oh I love Rodimus and more than meets the eye, a pretty popular uh, Transformer, and it takes them this long to get to him, and then they're like what if he's French for some reason and has no character beyond being French <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it makes sense 
if you are doing an actual movie about Transformers being knights. Because obviously, so much of the historical record of the Knights of the Round Table and the Arthurian legend is actually written by French people. Like, like the the most famous telling of the Arthurian legend is Le Mort Arthur, which is a, a French fucking novel. I can see the connective tissue where someone is like coming up with this idea. Really? But Michael Bay is obviously so much not interested in it okay. that it just becomes the joke is like he is French. And yeah. That's it. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Well, anyway, he has been her car or swapped places with her car because we've seen many times now they can just change their mode whenever they fucking feel like it so i don't know what the implication there is if it's like a sound wave type deal where he has been her car all along and hopkins has been keeping track of her or if just this one time he like removed her car and then like took its form but anyway she gets in her car after talking about bbws with her fucking cast of insufferably british rom-com aunts and mothers and sisters and whatever and she is driven against her will to this mansion. Uh, Hot Rod along the way changes from her beat-up car to a fucking Lamborghini. I think he's like literally the exact same model as Lockdown was in the previous movie. Because they're like, this car is fucking sick. We need to use it again. Yeah. But yes, Hopkins has gathered Cade Yeager and uh, Vivian Wembley. And he is of the opinion <laughs> that Cade Yeager is the fabled last knight that needs to be called upon and Vivian is the direct final last descendant of Merlin and his wife Viviana or whatever her name was all of that is true but yes that that is what happens and I do actually quite enjoy her just assassinating Kate Yeager's character for a bit okay you American man shut it is quite good him being completely unable to name a single thing he's invented is quite good. Not a fan of him being like, uh, what's he, he, he says that she's wearing a stripper dress and then her comeback is like, I could always take it off. And it's like, how is that the comeback to a guy that you well, think is a Well, because they need to have like sexual tension because they're going to I know they're going to introduce that I, later, but like... I do enjoy that they make the joke around like... The reason why K. Dieger is is able to be the last knight is because he's celibate, and it's because yes. like his wife died like thirty years ago, and so therefore like he just hasn't he's been too busy dealing with his daughter and the robots that he's not fucked in a while. Yeah, so like, therefore he's he, he's pure enough to be a knight. He arrives here looking like sh like I'm just gonna say it. This era of Mark Wahlberg with the long hair was rough. Um, he arrives looking like shit, seeming like an idiot, shouting at everyone, clearly a dullard. And then, like, they slap on top of it. They're like, oh, he hasn't fucked in a long time, so therefore he can be a knight. But then, like, when they're they're put on a submarine together, Anthony Hopkins does take the time to give exposition that, like, he had a wife who died and he's got a daughter. It's, it's kind of like telling Vivian, like, oh, he hasn't not gotten laid because he's a loser. He hasn't gotten laid because of honourable reasons that are going to make you horny for him. <laughs> Bye! Yeah. And don't worry, what's going to make you super horny for this is Cogman's going to kick some fish to death and serve them to you on this submarine. Fuck Cogman. It's unfucking necessary. I like that, like, like in the description of Cogman's character, they're like, he's a sociopath. Yeah. He prefers sociopath kind of they... to psychopath. He says it out loud. 
one of my least favourite things that people do in movies. Yeah, I will say I was, for about ten seconds, Cogman-pilled as well. Because while Anthony Hopkins is giving all his exposition, Cogman plays the organ like a <laughs> fucking madman, and then begins to operatically sing in a uh, a very a soprano, a very high voice. And I was like, oh, maybe Cogman is good, actually. But then they went back to Cogman just doing the most insane shit. Yes, he's got... I mean, that's the most insane shit. I mean, there's one point where... I I can't remember, like, uh, Cade, like, insults... I can't remember who he insults, but, like... Cogman immediately like yanks him down in his chair and threatens to kill him. It's and then Vivian, the rest of the scene is Cogman. It's Vivian. I think and he says something to is... Vivian and then and then uh and then Cogman fucking tries to strangle him to death. Um... And then the rest of the scene is Cade saying stuff with Cogman in the background holding his hands back from trying to kill Cade some more. Mm-hmm. Um Cogman good. Mm, no. Yeah. And oh, I also like that she becomes horny for Cade because he can quote Arthur C. Clarke without having gone to university. And it's like, oh, he's like a working man, but he knows things. I must sleep with him now. They also drop the wild bombshell that Shia LaBeouf's character died (laughs) between movies and they use his fucking eBay profile picture from the first movie. Yeah, I'm wit. Do we reckon that the Witwickies are named after the Witwicken Society and are like the last True Blood Society? I assume he was one of them. Yeah, that was. But my... like, his, I think they say that his grandfather was as well, aka the guy who found Megatron. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is weird that like it skipped his dad. Like this guy discovered Megatron and then was like, "Cool, we're no longer members of the Witwickens." Yeah, yeah. Apart from you, my grandson, who will be forced into this because you've got my glasses. <laughs> Do yeah. we reckon Anthony Hopkins like called up and was like? Um... I reckon Anthony Hopkins is like his like third cousin twice removed or something. I think they're directly related. But I just like the <laughs> idea of like in between movies at some point, Anthony Hopkins calls up, yeah, um, like Sam and just kind of goes like, right, I need to induct you into this into this cult because you found out about the backstory. Of I the, think he of had Cogman kill him so he could remain the last Whitwicker. <laughs> That's my take. <laughs> And Cogman would do it too, you know he would. Um, yeah, he was originally the last Witwicken, and then Sam got actually given a plot to do with the with the Transformers, and he was very jealous of that. As yeah, he's like, "Well, I can't be having that. This is my whole deal." Uh, yes, he brings them together. They are both fated to be these magical special people. Only Merlin's descendant can wield the staff. The staff will save us all, I think. Some shit explaining all this shit about how Transformers have been here forever. Blah blah blah. We must go do things. Um, Underwater. Yeah, the TRF do arrive to flush them out. And over the course of this lengthy chase, both Cade and Vivian and Anthony Hopkins' character, who I will just I will just be calling him Anthony Hopkins, they both have time to stop off and do something for several minutes. Like, Cade and Vivian go to her house to search her father's study while they do a sex joke where it sounds like they're fucking upstairs. They're, like, tearing the house apart looking for anything about where the fucking staff could be. And then Anthony Hopkins has time to go to Trinity... Oxford Trinity Library and, like, have a conversation with Simmons on the phone and, like, get a book. And, like, they're chasing you! And you had time to stop off and do all of this. But anyway, we then have, like, just some fucking terrible car chasing and... Just absolutely. They also nonsense. kind of they also miss out the entire bit where they have to go from Oxford to Downing London. Street. Yes. And they do it in like not, minutes. 
Yeah, it's not a short drive. Like, I mean, it's not super long. Americans would hey. be like me saying an hour and forty-five minute drive is a is a is a long drive. But like, no, but it's not the movie like makes it down sp- the road. <laughs> and no, also, as you know from me <laughs> sending you very furious screenshots of a sat nav recently, <laughs> most of the driving would be London itself because <laughs> I set off on a like two-hour car ride. One hour of it was getting to London. And then the other hour was getting what is ostensibly a few miles through London. <laughs> so. To be fair, to be fair to the movie, they are going through North London, not South London. Sure, which and is we a, all know South yeah. London is a cursed helpit with no road system. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Cogman does move, bitch, by Ludacris. <laughs> yes, he does. Him driving the car where, like, I didn't get until this point that he's actually really little. Um, he is, he's human-sized. He, no, he's not. He's like four eleven. Shorter than human size. Okay, he's shorter than human. But, yeah. <laughs> so when he drives a car, even though the toy line has him turn into a, uh, I believe he turns into a, one second, uh, an Aston Martin DB11. Um, <laughs> he cannot turn into an Aston Martin DB11 in the movie. So he drives a car for yes. himself and Anthony Hopkins, where he has a little cushion that he sits on, and his head barely makes it over the top of the of the dashboard. Um, Cogman sucks. They are ushered onto a submarine where they must go find this underwater... I assumed, watching it, this was lockdown ship that had crashed into the ocean, and that's why all the knights are on it. But instead, it's a different Cybertronian ship. It's a different Cybertronian ship. The one that lockdowns crashed is the one they used to get from America to the UK for that group of people. <laughs> that's, the one that, that's the one that Day Trader sells them. Right. Uh, this is a different ship, which was moved by the, the Guardian Knights at some point after the Arthurian legend, where they fell asleep underwater with Merlin's corpse, his staff, and then the twelve. How of them do you not out. see how much worse this is than two and four? That you're having to say things like this out loud <laughs> is why it's worse. No, okay. Um... <laughs> I know no, it's not worse. I just it is worse. It's got some... It, there's some energy at points. I just appreciate the energy. I appreciate it being fucking bug nuts. I, I understand that, like... Like, what I'm talking about is, like, fucking really thin margins in the grand scheme of things. But there was just something where occasionally in this movie it would go, Boy, that's a fucking weird idea, and I appreciate the movie going to this place, rather than the, like... I think I just appreciate the fact that it kind of does put its middle finger up at the rest of what these movies have been doing and creates its own brand new law. And I'm like, no, bring this further away. I just think it buckles under the weight of of trying to do anything because it just is completely contradicted, Um, even by itself, within its own runtime. The movie is not good. It's still like uh, this. This is a franchise of like predominantly bad movies. There are only three movies that I would give above like two and a half stars. But like in the grand scheme of things, I would rather see a sequel to this than I would see them continue in the vein that was like two and four. To me, like Anthony Hopkins's character is just Simmons, but played by Anthony Hopkins, and Cogman is just the twins, but it's British instead of like a racist stereotype for black people instead it's a stereotype for like British aristocracy kind of thing it's the same thing like it's it's still like what if this guy was like this you know like just because I enjoy seeing Anthony Hopkins call someone a dickhead more than I enjoy watching John Turturro drop trow and be wearing custom 
Sector 7 underwear. Like, it's the same vein. (laughs) Oh, I'm not saying it's not the same vein. I mean, like, I've got my ranking of the franchise, and the franchise is literally bisected by Rise of the Beast in the very middle, but, like, it's, like, it's... I know you're not saying it's good. It's just, like, that you can be so shocked that I think it's the worst one is weird to me and it's weird to you that i think it is the worst one i just i think that's a fu- this is the first time we've been in disagreement <laughs> it, i think it is it is the first time we've been in disagreement and i think it is because i'm coming like i'm again i'm not coming at this from like a <laughs> this is a secret masterpiece that everyone needs to be aware of there are just there are more things i could talk positively about this movie because they're memorable and maybe that is a bad metric to have that something is memorable but like if we're talking about a world in which boring is the, sure I, mean, I, hate I, using, I, do... I hate using boring to describe a movie but like i guess unen- unengaging in a in a way that wasn't intended is the worst thing a movie can be because yeah, like, i've I... watched movies where like their length and their content is designed to kind of be like this is supposed to like wear you down into like a certain mindset whereas this is ostensibly supposed to be engaging and exciting at all moments and this is the first one of these movies apart from three that has made me pay attention to the content that's going on on screen i i think the the core of this franchise is still rotten in a lot of ways but this is the first time i had an inkling of like oh is there a way out of this mess i feel like i'm punished for paying attention to this movie where i'm like okay right let's watch it then and then six things happen that make me want to stab myself in the eyes so i have to pause it for another 20 minutes so it took me longer to watch this than it took me to watch age of extinction which is a longer movie i think but yeah, anyway, yes, they are put onto a submarine to go down to this crashed Cybertronian ship, which has the tomb of Merlin and his staff in it. As you say, Cogman kicks some fish to death and cooks them a nice dinner, and Mark Wahlberg has to take his shirt off, and she has to notice he has abs now, so that they can, yeah, they can just shuffle them off together and make them be in love now. It's very funny that they say that Merlin is buried in the channel, Yes. Uh, like somewhere around Dover, when there is literally a tomb of Merlin in France, mm-hmm. which is like a tourist spot. I understand <laughs> why. I, I mean, the tomb of Merlin is obviously like a famous thing that are like you can you can do in a lot of media, but like it's just yeah. again funny how much actual night law is in this yeah. movie in terms yeah. of the relationship between England and France, and how much Michael <laughs> Bay seems uninterested in it. Yeah. Cybertron has arrived now and Nemesis Prime comes down, murders some of these Guardian Knights, threatens to kill some humans, fights Bumblebee. This is where the movie loses me. Like up to <laughs> this point I was kind of like able to come in sporadically and be engaged by it. This, but this is section... ironically where it becomes coherent with itself after previously yes. being multiple movies because we'll also then get like the American cast will will shortly come over. The people we spent the first hour with, they will all arrive soon. And yet, yeah, it's just nothing at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, everyone comes together and it's just so perfunctory in terms of, like, concluding things one by one. Like, you've got bits that, like, 
Am I getting this confused with Indiana Jones where both of them got the same plot point of like continental drift has caused Unicron's horns to come out in different spots? Yeah, the Pangea. Yeah, they're like, oh, why are they in these seemingly random places? And then if you if you go back to the Pangea, they would have been like a perfect circle of horns, like his little crown of yeah, horns or whatever. Yeah, it's the exact same thing that happens in Indiana Jones, which is a movie I watched the next night after this. Wonderful. So two movies use continental drift to explain yeah. some bullshit lore things. But like Optimus yeah. and Bumblebee fight for what less than sixty seconds? <laughs> it's like it's like ninety seconds, but I think okay. sixty seconds of it included in trailers. Yeah. Um, they literally have the shot of Optimus stabbing Bumblebee mm-hmm. apparently in the face. Yes, but he speaks. He does. He says, uh, "What does he say? Like I am your friend, You're my friend, and I would die for you." Yep. And then that is enough to snap Optimus out of his brainwashing. Cool, that was a good plot point that we spent a lot of this movie building yeah. up to. Uh, and then, very glad that we invested that time and energy into this. Yeah, and then he seemingly is willing to just be murdered because the Guardian Knights attack him and he says, the Guardian Knights are going to kill me. And then Cade's little armband turns into Excalibur, which is so strong that he can sword fight a like 30 foot tall robot and then they all just bend the knee because he has Excalibur and Cade has to do a pep talk to Optimus so Optimus can do a pep talk to the knights and then he will later the do t- a, a fucking Optimus pep talk to the TRF who will all then throw down their badges <laughs> yeah and so at some point the TRF have like yeah they, they've also done a heel turn on where they were beforehand and yeah every character motivation in this movie is like dropped in a five minute sequence of this movie and it is yeah kind of interminable yeah um, uh, this is also probably the worst that the cgi and real elements have ever blended in these because like that is a thing that they did have going for them i may hate the designs but they sh- the cg does look better and more blended in these movies generally than like most cgi going but like in this especially all the stuff on the submarine the humans and the transformers like just do not look like they're in the same shot at all and it just looks like shit with like Cade climbing all over Optimus and Vivian like sliding down the side of the ship and like yeah just all looks super fucking fake in a way that they haven't up to now and then yeah we're treated to this ridiculous fucking action sequence at Stonehenge with like Megatron is trying to activate a portal with the staff I forget how he even got the staff he like he shows up at the end of the fight and kind of like takes the staff away. Yeah. Like, but I, I mean, the other thing is like, it's so weird to have this movie where Optimus and Megatron are on the same side. And I don't think they have a conversation where nope. they're on the same side. Like, you'd nope. think there is something there to have them standing side by side, brothers in arms. They mm-hmm. make a throwaway reference at one point of like Megatron saying like, we were brothers once or whatever. Yeah, they keep um, doing this every now and then. I'm like, this means nothing because never once have you bothered to invest any time in what anything was like before Transformers 1. But again, that's, we link back to the writer's room where presumably at this point they are like thinking, oh, we're doing Transformers 1 at some point, therefore that will <laughs> be the tale of this backstory. We'll throw in hints at like the deeper yeah. relationship here, and it's like they are literally controlled by the same person. They could, ha- they could actually have a conversation yeah. at this point. And not they were agents working face. like different sides of the same problem, and they could have actually worked. You could have done a cool scene where it's like, oh my god, Optimus and Megatron, we're all screwed. And they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we then give in to this fucking nonsense where like Megatron has used the staff to do some shit at Stonehenge, which then starts to do shit with wrecked Cybertron and 
we are treated to like half an hour of people just running, shouting, exploding, firing bullets at seemingly nothing, jumping, floating, falling. And it's all just so weightless and boring. Yeah, like the TRF <laughs> needs to load planes into the into lockdown ships so they can fly it to a high enough level so they're taking oxygen that they can fly out and then attack something that's happening on Cybertron. They have an ignition chamber that, so the humans have something to do. Like Optimus gave us coordinates on the end game. It's an ignition chamber. It's literally a line of fucking dialogue. They can't get to the ignition chamber because there's a gun protecting it, but luckily Squeaks is a Decepticon arm. Remember Squeaks? Yes. He blows up the arm, which allows them to blow up the ignition chamber. And um, Tony Hale objects to how they're going about everything, and he has a graphical simulation mocked up in, like, seconds, and it's like, no, I'm sorry, fuck off. Like, <laughs> like his team have mocked up a real-time render of, of, of the simulation of what they want to do to save the day. And like, okay. Um, they want to do some Armageddon-esque bullshit with, like, swinging a thing to collide with another thing and blowing that up, and it doesn't work, but then it does, and... Ah. <laughs> yeah, and Optimus isn't here again. Optimus, who spent two hours of this movie not doing anything has yeah. disappeared just so he can show up after like ten minutes of them going like, where's Optimus? Where and, is and, Optimus? And then they kill some stuff. Um, the dragon is here as well. Yep. No one talks about or to the dragon. It Megatron just off of... kills Anthony Hopkins and then Cogman calls him the coolest guy he's ever served. Again, Cogman, 10 out of 10, saves this movie. Cogman fucking sucks. Yeah, lots of chaos... We have Megatron and an army of identical-looking Deceptors. I think they actually are literally identical this time, but you can forgive me, given how they've all looked throughout these movies. But they... there's, the, in, there's the Infernocons who become Infernicus. Yes, they combine and then are immediately murdered by Optimus. When... Yep. <laughs> just, just nothing. And they, they're briefly like, oh, we'll just blow it all up. Like, we don't trust in this bullshit about the staff. But then Vivian is like, yeah, fuck it. And then she runs back. She gets the stuff. She deactivates the whole process. Bumblebee kills Quintessa from behind. It's all... He kills, he kills Nitro Zeus, who is still hanging around at this oh, point. Oh, I'm so and sorry. Then, then shoots Quintessa, who disappears. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Megatron's been kicked out the side of the ship. Yeah, ostensibly to his death. But not really. Yeah, we get the... At some point, Cade and Vivian have kissed... And have like asked, well, what are you doing tomorrow? And you know, all this bullshit. And they're in love now, obviously. There's some stuff with like Isabella and like Laura Haddock must have been like, who the fuck is this person? And and Mark Wahlberg's like, oh, she's like the heart of the movie. Like I did like so many scenes with her. Don't you know her? Like no, because she's not been there. Yeah. And then yet again, they do ending narration. Yet again, Optimus is like, hey, Autobots, come home. Yet again, they kind of immediately are like, right, get to the credits. We've got to get out of here. We've got like 30 seconds to wrap this bitch. Like, <laughs> are Transformers not illegal anymore? Like, uh, is Cybertron for realsies dead? Like, how has anything changed about the status quo? It doesn't matter. We have to get to our end credit. Bizarre they've done this in literally every one of them. Like, the second the final shot has been fired, they're like, right, you got 30 seconds, go. No matter how long the movies get, that has always been the case. And then, yeah, we get a mid-credits tease, actual Gemma Chan wandering the desert, and then it's, it turns out it's Quintessa, and, like, she's made herself look human in a thread that will dangle probably forever. Yeah. 
there is i mean that's the thing is this movie has killed the franchise seemingly they are now only exclusively making prequels and even then unicron is definitely not earth in the prequels that they've made um, yeah i guess we really glossed over that that unicron is earth the, um, the movie glosses over it like it, it is does. mentioned occasionally and it like it puts no weight on what unicron is other than just a great power source yeah. like it's but they it's know that it's like a name they can drop and like some people get excited but like they are it's bad but they are making their first attempt to explain why so much shit happens on earth but that's the thing is like that is something this franchise has like struggled with in general across all media is why is earth so important why are mm. we so scared of doing media set on cybertron and like you look at the history of all of this media and they will do maybe a season or they'll do story arcs on Cybertron. Like everything kind of eventually gets back to Cybertron in some way because they know that is the end game, but it always, always, always starts on Earth, seemingly. Yeah. yeah. And it's so. And it's, again, they have to, at some reason, uh, so, at some point, come up with a reason why why Earth is so special. And the only one of them, I think, that has done it well is Beast Wars. Yep because the reason why earth is special is because the art containing the autobots and the decepticons is buried on earth and the golden discs that pred- yeah, exactly. predict all of cybertronian future are the real life fucking voyager disc and all that shit yeah <laughs> uh, irrefutable this is a a dead medium now for this yep. franchise like michael bay is never coming back i don't think if he does yeah. it's because they offer him a kajillion dollars but based on the box office declines of bumblebee and rise of the beasts i i don't know what the future of this franchise looks i mean we like. know we um, do know it's animation they're gonna try and do their own spider-verse or something oh yeah i mean sure, i mean you've got to hope it's got an interesting visual style and it doesn't look like those fucking netflix rooster teeth ass basics of american animation thing and it has an actual distinct style but we will see uh, i but, mean the, the rumor is is that industrial light and magic are working on the movie in some mm-hmm. fashion which would imply that they're going to be doing something that looks like the opening scene of bumblebee i mean it's what everyone um, has been asking for but like it seems ambitious it's not but... dis- it's not dis- it's, it's ambitious and it's not distinct i guess is the no. is the thing where but it's, it's like cl- i think it's more that like oh those are closer to the recognizable character designs i also think the issue is like like as as good as ilm are in terms mm. of like special effects they're not animators like they're not no. they're not people who do storyboards and stuff like that they have to work from a template and so it's why they're not used as an animation studio predominantly yeah but no, I mean it's 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 unavoidable that like this movie was so bad that it did seem to just completely spin this entire franchise off its axis. Like, yeah, like up to this point, like people were just kind of resigned. If you like movies, and you, like you were just like, yeah, the Transformers movies will continue. They make a shitload of money. They're not for me. They're not for me, but they're obviously for someone. And for whatever reason, this movie turned out to not be for anyone yeah and i i don't know what it is about this movie that kind of like was the last straw for so many people because like the writing was on the wall in america because like you look at the decline in the domestic box office and that had been going on for a while but what was propping it up was china and russia and and all these other different countries and then seemingly everyone else in the world gave up on this franchise at the same moment like 
yeah, just looking at this. So, like, in North America, the franchise goes from 319 to 402 to 352 to 245 to 130 for this movie. And 130 is about the level that the franchise is at now. So, yeah. Last Night did 130, Bumblebee does 127, Rise of the Beast does 141. So, actually, an improvement over the last couple of years. But inflation has gone through the roof in that time. So, who knows what the actual comparison between Last Night and Rise of the Beast is. But, like, yeah. Well, other territories have just given up on this franchise. But they remain mass. weirdly, like, really popular in, like, Singapore and Malaysia for some reason. But I guess they uh, don't have big enough populations to, like, make a make a dent in anything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, for whatever reason, the world has given up on Transformers. Like, yeah. I'm sure Paramount will still make them. These still end I mean, up it's being an IP. Like, some of the highest gross. Yeah. In, exactly. in, in the age we're in, where like no one can get anything original greenlit, like it is still an IP with value and a built-in audience and everything. So. I mean, that's the thing is, you would think that they would give up on GI Joe after three movies, but now they're trying to <laughs> merge those two franchises. I think just because GI Joe to- toys have legit like continually sold weirdly, really strongly without anything on the air to support them people still be buy gi joe toys for some reason we're talking like this is like the end of the whole fucking podcast we we will be back in two weeks with another movie and it is bumblebee and i am excited uh i had to suffer through my cave of trials to get back to a movie that i think is like actually good not just good for transformers i, I think it's actually a pretty solid movie overall um that is in two weeks next week we are back to the comics side of things where we do have an ending of sorts as we cover issues 45 to 55 of More Than Meets the Eye. That is the end of the comic book More Than Meets the Eye before it is going to be rebranded into Lost Light. So there is a form of an ending coming next week. Yes, um, the season two finale is is sure, how it's called. If that's how you want to look at it, that is how that's going to happen. We'll see what happens with our good friends on the good ship Lost Light. Rodimus without a French accent. Autobot Megatron, etc. Uh, and then, yes, back here in two weeks for Bumblebee. And yeah, we are getting towards the end of the fucking podcast, but we do still have some road left. It feels weird because it really does feel like with this movie and then covering the end of More Than Meets the Eye, it does feel like, yep, and we're done. And you're like, no, we still got four, yeah. four episodes beyond next week to record. And it's just because of how weird the franchise has become. This has been a terrible, terrible movie we've covered and at least it's over is say one nice thing about this movie it's over there you go i did it uh thank you ben for yeah you love cogman i know you love cogman thank you for trying to fight the defense of it not just being not being completely terrible just quite terrible uh you made a valiant effort the jury has in fact ruled it is fucking terrible though sorry We'll Better do a poll when this episode comes out. Vote on what is the worst Transformers movie. My vote is still for two, because I think that is just heinous in all ways. This, then two, then four. Those are the three. We'll do a three. ranking at the end of this, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, won't that be great? Anyway, I'm, thank you. <laughs> maybe we'll write it for the website, and, <laughs> and we can find out what your thoughts on Rise of the Beasts are and where that falls. Yeah, okay, fine, why not? Yes, that's all to come in the future. For now, thank you, Benjamin, for talking to me about knights and Nazi... Oh, I forgot the part where Bumblebee... Yeah, like, go be a Nazi killer again. Go take that energy into the final battle at Stonehenge. A bizarre movie. Uh, Thank you for talking to me about it, though. No worries. It's been uh, fun. I've filled in my final Transformers gap. I'm done. I feel satisfied and whole. Didn't say uh, that either. The the one neither of us had seen. The only one I haven't seen. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And audience, roll out. This is why, why we fight, why we lay awake. This is why, this is why we fight. When we die, we will die with our arms unbound. Why, this is why we fight. So come to me, come to me now. Lay your arms around me. This is why, this is why.